When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's now time for our interview specials. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of football. Sit back and listen up. It's time for the main event with the Phoenix Five and a 90s football icon. On this week's show, we have Steven Encho. Ladies and gentlemen, sit back and enjoy the show. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Five. We have another special guest this week. We've been very lucky enough to be joined by former Swiss international, Liverpool, Blackburn and Celtic centre-back Stephen Henshaw. Hello Stephen, how are you? Hello, very well. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for coming on. I'm also joined this week by David Holland. Hey, right, Dave. Uh, how are you doing, guys? Thanks for coming on, Stephen. So, as you can hear, it's just me and David today. Everyone else is at the pub, it seems. So, we, we, uh, we're we going to make sure we make this a really good one. So, I'm going to start with your early career, Stephen. Uh, you was at, um, in Switzerland. How did you get into football? caused you to get into playing football when you were younger? I think uh, back these days, there was not much to do apart of playing football, to be honest. It wasn't like today when you have all this PlayStation and stuff. Uh, I was living in uh, quite a small town. And, uh, and more or less everybody was playing football here in Switzerland. So that's why uh, I just started and uh, I loved it. You know, I think from the first uh, kick I had on the ball, really. I enjoyed it so much that uh, I was playing all day. All day. Uh, my mom had to call me, you know, at night to come back to eat and, uh, and all that stuff, doing the homework. Because the only thing I uh, I wanted to do was uh, really playing football, so that's how I started. 
And you, how did you, so in the, obviously in England, there's like the YTSC or the youth system. Was you scouted or did you, did you join like an academy at a young age or was it kind of a different case where they, they picked you up at when you were 15, 16 and you joined your first club? Quite different uh, in Switzerland, which is not, it's better now. Back at the time, it wasn't a big football country, I would say. So uh, what you know in England when you have scouts uh, at a very uh, young age, when then you have academy, same thing, very young age. Uh, it didn't, uh, didn't take place in, uh, in Switzerland, to be honest. So I was more or less playing for my local team until I was at least 12. Then I moved not far to a better team, but still local, still only training twice a week, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, playing Saturday. That was it really. And uh, the coaches we had uh, wasn't really uh, proper qualified coaches. So it was a totally different setup from what you can uh, have uh, in England these days, even back 20, 30 years ago. It's better now in Switzerland, but in Switzerland, until you are 11 or 12, you always play in your local team. You don't get scouted or stuff like that. So, uh, so for me, it really started uh, when I was 15. <clears throat> and uh, 15, there is the national team. You know, that's the first time there is a national team, the under 15. And then they start to, to scout you know, in the country. They make tests and stuff like that. So I've been a bit selected. And from, uh, from that age, 15, then I moved to Neuhotel Xamax, uh, which, you know, back at the time was one of the best team in, uh, in Switzerland. Uh, they were playing in, uh, in Europe every year, winning the league here. And uh, Roy Hudson, that is well known, obviously, in, uh, in England, was the manager at Neuchatel Xamax. And he gave me my first opportunity to play with the first team quite at an early age. I was, I think I just turned 17 when I played my first game. Uh, and funny, the first game was Real Madrid, uh, Neuchatel Xamax in the UEFA Cup. So <laughs> not, a, not a bad start, but that's how it went for me, you know, uh, with my football in uh, in Switzerland, you know, from the young age until I reach 15 and Neuchatel Xamax. That's, I, I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not even going to try. No, uh, no problem. <laughs> 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 I'm this service, so I won't try to pronounce. But yeah, so, because Christian Gross is also from the same club. There's quite a few players in the past, Switzerland players and international yeah. players that have come through the same route as you have. You mm -hmm. mentioned Roy Hodgson. What was it like working, because he's obviously... Now, I don't know if it's the same then, he was quite regimented in, in, in coaching. It was very much uh, tactics and formation opposed to more free ball. How did you find that as a defender? I learned a lot, to be honest, uh, with Roy. And like you said, uh, it was a lot about the tactics with him. So I must say that uh, when he went, when he came to Switzerland, I think he came from a Swedish club, um, at first, you know, the training session sometimes can be a bit long, like two hours, two and a half hours, a lot of tactics and stuff. So it was a bit strange for us because we were not used to. And uh, But the results were good, you know. On the Saturday, everybody knew really what he had to do. We were very strong defensively, playing a quite direct game, you know, the 4-4-2, classic 4-4-2. But we had some, uh, some good results. 
and then uh, and then he moved on and he took over as the Swiss uh, national manager. And I think that that's really when his career, you know, took you know uh, another another direction. I mean, uh, he qualified Switzerland. I think it was the first time for 40 years that Switzerland went to the World Cup '94 in uh, the USA, and um, and then he went to Inter Milan and, and so on. But yeah, I think you know he was he was tactically very aware. Uh, he was a gentleman, to be honest. He was really a nice person, nice person, and uh, I would say very educated. Uh, he was speaking, I think, seven or eight languages. Yeah. When he came, when he came, he didn't speak a word of French, but he learned so quickly. I think two or three months, and he could uh, he could have a conversation. He was, you know, talking uh, French with the players. And uh, yeah, he was a quick learner and uh, a gentleman, like uh, like I said. So in 1995, you moved to Hamburg where you played under Felix Margot. Yeah. Uh, he was manager at the time. How was it working under him? Big shock. <laughs> 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 Massive shock. Um, yeah. Why? Because moved from, uh, from Switzerland to Germany. I was quite young. I was 20 or something. And... Um, and obviously, the difference when you move from small country, <clears throat> small country, and especially football country as Switzerland to a big country, uh, football-wise, Hamburg, big club, uh, it's a, it's a shock in itself. Uh, you have to remember that at the time you were only allowed three foreign players in every yeah. team, not like these days. So the foreign players they had to make the, the difference. You had to be better than uh, than the German player, and uh, yeah, with twenty, you know, the pressure that goes with it was um, was quite hard. And then we had uh, Felix Magat. Felix Magat was uh, only uh, assistant; he wasn't head coach. But after eight games, they sacked the head coach. Unfortunately for me, because he was the one who came, you know. To, to take me to Hamburg and Felix was a promoted uh, head coach. Uh, yeah, with Felix it was two years. <laughs> it was very hard. <laughs> very, very hard. You know, so when he comes, uh, sorry. What, what was so hard? Was it his personality? Was it the training? Uh, it, was, it was his personality. It was the training session. It was everything. The training session, I think in, in two years, and I'm not lying, I must have had three days off and i'm not lying three days off in two seasons i mean on the we played saturday on the sunday we only train in the morning if we would be winning on saturday if we would have draw or lost we would have we would train twice on the sunday so double session sunday and then back normal monday tuesday twice wednesday thursday twice friday training go to the hotel play saturday and the training session uh, they were really hard. He was very physical, very hard. And Felix is a personality, he had a strong personality. So it wasn't really the coach who would put an arm on the shoulder, I can tell you. So, uh, yeah, it's did been, anyone, it's did anyone, very difficult. Did anyone um, challenge it? Like the captain and the players come together and say, listen, this is not, not what we want to do? Was there anything like that, Any, any anything that you could be done to kind of say, hey, look, we can't find training, but this is ridiculous. Uh, you know, when he took over, the team was 
17 out of 18, you know. And we ended up finish in the Europa League fifth. So obviously uh, in the paper, in the media, uh, Felix has done a tremendous job. He was called the magical, the magical Felix, you know. So at the end of today, on the Saturday, we were winning most of the time, or at least drawing. Uh, we didn't close many games the first season. And, uh, and it was difficult to argue with him. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, as a, as a manager, the result is everything. Uh, and probably I think the German mentality, uh, very hardworking uh, people, I must admit, uh, when they, you know, when you, when you told them, you know, you, you do 10 laps, they do 10 laps. When you told them you do 20 laps, they do 20 laps. Uh, it was... Back at the time, it was like that. Maybe it has changed with the society in general. Probably has changed. But, you know, in 95, that was, that was the case. So, uh, so nobody really changed in, uh, in the first season. The second season wasn't as good. And in April, May, when it was only six, seven games left, uh, the results, you know, were not that good. And in the team, you know, like the captain, the big players, they're starting, you know, to say, listen, we can't carry on training like that. We are tired before the game, heavy legs and stuff. And we don't win anymore on the Saturday. We have to change. And uh, and he got the sack, I think, three or four games before the, uh, the end of the season. Yeah, he was only there for uh, 19 months, I think it was, he was yeah. there before. So I think his methods, uh, I mean, you can do them, as you said, for a season, a season and a half, if you're winning, yeah. because a bit like Liverpool and a lot of the clubs now, if you've got a high press, yeah. the life cycle of that team is so much shorter because your intensity is so high. So if you're playing every day, your body's not recovering. You're never going to be able to have that sustainability. Yeah. So it's very, so 97 comes along, Felix is gone. Um, yeah. New manager comes in, but you, you get a chance to move. And I read a rumor, and I'm not sure if it's true, but you turned down Man United at the time to move to Blackburn. Is that is that true? Yeah. What what what, what? the the story the story was uh, the story was uh, Roy Hodgson took over at Blackburn in in June '97 or in May. It was already signed in May, probably from Interland, and um, he asked me. If I wanted to, to join Blackburn, I said, yes, I want to come to England Premier League. You know, I was more, more than happy. And I, had, and I had a clause in my contract. Uh, I could leave for a certain amount. I can't remember the amount. I think it was 3.5 uh, million, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So I knew, you know, if a club brings this money, I can, uh, I can move on. So uh, I said, yeah, to Roy, uh, I'm coming. And, uh, and then it was in June, I was back in, uh, in, in Switzerland. And I remember, you know, I came, uh, I, was, I was out visiting some friend. I came back uh, home and uh, still had, I already had a mobile in, uh, was in 97. It was the start of the mobile phone. I could see, you know, like 25 missing calls. Uh, you know, that's, that's the only thing you could see on the, on the screen. And I thought strange. You know, I was like two hours friend visiting and 25 calls, you know. Actually, it was my agent who tried to read me so many times. And he said, uh, listen, uh, 
you know, you have been in contact with Manchester United. Hmm, I said, yeah, you know, Manchester United, massive club, you know, so you think. And, um, and then the next few days, uh, to be honest, I didn't know really what to do because I said yes to Roy. So I gave my, uh, in my word, really. But in fact, I didn't sign the contract just yet. I even signed the contract. So I could have technically still moved to Manchester United. So I was thinking, you know, what should I do? And, you know, difficult situation, to be honest. Uh, by the end of the day, I thought I was 23. Um, and then I I knew at, at the time it was still uh, Bruce Pallister playing, you know, for Manu. So uh, how can you get past these two when you're only 23, you move to a new country, a new league? Uh, so I thought, yeah, you will be maybe number three or number four. You will play Tuesday night in the League Cup. I don't think you're going to play many games on the Saturday, you know. And um, and on top of that, I knew Roy uh, gave me my first chance as Neuchatel Xamax, my first cap with the national team. And uh, and I thought, you know, it's better to go one step after another. And Blackburn is still a very good club. They were champion two years, you know, before I came. So that's, uh, that was the story with, uh, with Man United. Amazing. So you obviously had a good relationship with Roy, which is yeah. a good start. Did you think we've had a few people ask a few questions? Um, do you think at that Christmas when you was I think second in the league? Yeah, they're talking the squad that we're gonna we can win this because uh, it was about Christmas. You was you was I think yeah. your issues were quite congested, but you had a chance then to push on and, and was really challenging. Did yeah. you think and manager think and everyone think right? We've we've got a real chance of having a go here. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, I remember we we beat Arsenal away, I think 3-1 or 3-0, uh, mid-December. And we were very well placed uh, in the league. Uh, uh, we had a good team. We had a good team. Uh, but probably, you know, we were missing a few players, like a bit of depth, you know, on the bench. Uh, we didn't have, you know, that many options going forward. We had, you know, the two strikers, uh, Kevin Gallagher and Chris Sutton. They were the the, the, the two main strikers. We had Martin Dalin. Uh, he was a good player, but he was a lot injured. And part of this three, uh, and Martin, like I said, was most of the time he wasn't in the squad. So we had nobody really. Uh, so the, the squad was a bit thin probably. And uh, yeah, we would have act maybe one or two players, uh, you know, at Christmas or in January when you need, you know, to push just before Christmas. And at the time, you could you could have transfer every day when you have the squad with a bit thin. In January, February, it's hard. Uh, you get a bit tired, you know, a lot of games, Christmas, New Year. Started to lose a few games and then we drop a bit in the league. Mm. It's, I mean... I'm a Man United fan, so I'm, I'm obviously happy that you, you didn't win the league. But looking back at some of the results, you had a really good season. I think what you said is actually spot on because you got to, after the Arsenal game, soon after, I think it was mid-January, Darlene was out for seven weeks. You picked up a few draws and you can see Man United's momentum started picking up. Yeah. The draws just tailed off slightly. Um, David, you had some more questions about the Blackburn squad. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to you, you play with some characters, uh, i.e. Uh, Craig Bellamy, um, Two Guy. Was it true that Two Guy used to smoke every half time? Is that is that true? To light a fag up? Yeah, it is true, <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, uh, I think the funny thing is in in England, uh, you don't mind to have a, to have a lager, to have a beer, you know. And when I came in '95, that was the case. Uh, it was like normal to uh, to have a few beer even during the the week after the game. And you know, player who smoke, it seems a bit weird. It's different. It's exactly the opposite in uh, in Europe. I would say on the continent, yeah. uh, they don't like people who drink, you know, but they don't mind too much uh, people smoking. And uh, I remember in uh, in Hamburg, we were traveling quite a lot because Hamburg is right up north. We were traveling by bus, and we had always, you know, Germany. It's a, it's a big country. You know, seven, eight hours to go and the same to, to come back. And uh, on the bus, on the team bus, players were, were smoking, you know. So sometimes for seven, eight hours, smoking all the way long. So you could see, you know, the big smoke, you know, in the, in the team bus. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a big deal, really, you know. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I can tell you that two guys, uh, yeah, the flag... Uh, <laughs> Know, before the game, at half time, after the game. How did you find moving to Blackburn? Obviously, the Lancashire club, uh, the culture, as you just mentioned about the drinking and uh, culture that you had. Arsenal were famous, they had the Tuesday night club, so everyone would finish training on a Tuesday, go for a, a, a few yeah. pints. Did you find that there was a slight divide on the English players and the foreign players coming in, or was it quite just one big squad and you all went out for one night a week? And, Obviously, when, when I came, this, I would say, drinking culture, uh, it was something I didn't, uh, as a foreign, you're not used to. I would say you, you don't grow up, you're not educated, especially in, uh, in sport, elite sport. Uh, they always tell you uh, drinking is not allowed. When you uh, when you come to England <laughs> and you see the players, they don't mind having a proper, you know, a few, a few more than a few, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite uh, it's quite normal. Uh, you are you are, you are very surprised. Uh, I remember when I arrived uh, at Blackburn, we went to to Sweden for the training camp. It was in July, uh, and in Sweden in July it was quite nice. We were near the the sea. Next to the sea, there were a beach. So we, we were training in the morning, we had a good training session in the morning. But then in the afternoon, we went on, uh, on the beach. There were this, this bar where you have, you know, live, uh, live singers and stuff. As a team, we all went there and, uh, and we were drinking live for three or four hours on the, on the beach, you know. So, uh, so it's something like, yeah, like I said, very surprised, but I, to be honest, I enjoyed. I enjoyed because we had a great, a, a great team spirit, um, and it didn't stop us the next morning uh, to have a really good training session, uh, very high intensity and everything. So, uh, but like you said, it was it was normal. The Tuesday, 
normal after training, going to the pub, knowing that Wednesday was off, <laughs> no problem. Uh, on the way back uh, on the team bus, it was normal that you had beers for the three, four hours, uh, you know, uh, drive. No problem. Who is the worst culprit? Did someone take you and say, this is what we do in England? We go out, have a few drinks. Who, 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 who turned you into this nice guy who just came in, trained normally, and then turned you into, let's go and have five pints after every game? Who, who was that? I think, I think uh, at Blackbird, we had, uh, we had Gary Fleetcroft, we had Colin Hendry, we had Chris Sutton, we had Billy McKinley, we had Tim Sherwood, uh, Jeff Kenner, uh, Stephen Ripley. We had... <laughs> Kevin Gallagher, well, he wasn't the, he wasn't the, the most uh, big drinker, Kevin. But we had, we had all these, uh, these British players, you know, uh, and it was all the same, more or less. So, uh, yeah, straight away, you, you realize how oh, it works here in, uh, in England as a foreign players. And then I think uh, you have to adapt to that. Probably some... Some players, some foreign players, I would say, uh, yeah, maybe they have problem to adapt. Uh, they're not used to this, let's say, lifestyle, uh, going to the pub, having a fish and chips uh, after the game. And, and, and yeah, I can, I can imagine, or I played with some players, they didn't, they didn't adapt. Uh, and then it's difficult, you know, to, to mix with the team, to be to be well accepted and, you know, uh, that's why some foreign players, I think they have, uh, it's maybe easier these days because there is a lot of foreign players in the clubs and the culture has changed as well. Yeah. I don't think there is this drinking culture as it, as it was before. But yeah, if you don't adapt, you won't, you won't enjoy your football, you won't feel comfortable in the in the team in the dressing room so uh so you have to uh i would say to like this culture do you, do you think do you think arsene wenger changed that yeah i think i think arsene wenger was the first foreign coach and very soon after gerard Houllier, because gerard Houllier, uh at liverpool uh i think that's the first thing he, he tried to change uh it was the drinking culture and I remember there were quite a few, a few players at, uh, at Liverpool who, who, liked, who liked a few lager and he get rid of them or he tried to educate like Jamie Carragher, you know, and Jamie will tell you uh, that, you know, in a way he's grateful to because, uh, because probably oh, it's definitely the right thing, you know, have the right diet and stuff like that if you want to play 15, 17 years in the, in the Premier League. Uh, Steven Gerrard, in, in a way, is probably the, the same than, than Jamie. So, uh, so I think yeah, Arsene started and then Gerrard, uh, Ulier, and then uh, and then you have uh, you had after that a few uh, a few foreign manager who came and now these days there are quite uh, quite a few. Was there anyone at Blackburn who was a, just a bit of a a character like a live wire who was just a bit off, not normal. Some some would say. I would say Billy McKinley. <laughs> Billy McKinley and Chris Sutton. <laughs> oh really, Chris Sutton? Oh yeah. Oh, really? oh yeah. quite quiet. What 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 what, what no, would you say? Oh no, 
Tell me, what, tell us something we don't know that about Sutton. Because we always see him now on, on Five Live in the UK and he's quite dull. Chris, Chris is a, what, Chris is quite, he's a, he's a clever guy, Chris Sutton. Well educated as well, you know, clever. But in the dressing room, he wasn't the quietest, I can tell you. <laughs> I know, he was always joking, he was winding you up and he was with his big friend Billy McKinley. Uh, him and uh, him and Billy, you know, they were the most uh, lively in the dressing room at, at Blackburn, definitely. Were you disappointed that Hodson left so soon after finding yeah. you? Yeah, I was. I was. By the end of the day, we were responsible, the players, because the first season we had a great season. The second season we started badly, and uh, and even we had the same squad, more or less. We had good players. Uh, we should never end ended up uh, relegated. Never, never. And unfortunately, like always, you know, the manager will pay for that, pay for the result. And yes, I was disappointed that in, in October he was he was sacked. Yes, I was. And then Brian Kidd came in. He left Man United at the time, which we yeah. all thought would be a good move. Um, I when he left, we thought, oh, it'll give him a good chance. But what was it like under Kidd? Because I think number twos don't always make good number ones, and you know, player management and coaching and, you know, tactical training are all very different facets of the game. Do you think it was a bit too early for him or was it the job too big? No, I think, uh, to, to be honest, I liked uh, Brian Kitt. I think he's a, he's a good person. I liked, uh, I liked the training session. You could see he was coming from Man United. It was all about uh, passing, you know, passing, movement. Uh, it was different than what I used to to do before. Uh, it was something new for me. Uh, but it was great. It was really enjoyable. Uh, I can tell you that uh, the training session, the week, it was enjoyable. And uh, and the man itself was, uh, was a very, very good man. Good man, good manner. So I like Brian Kitt. I would say the problem, and that's my opinion, uh, the problem was Probably too nice. That's what I would say. You know, uh, probably too nice sometimes. Uh, you know, take advantage of him being nice. Uh, probably, probably. Uh, you know, out of uh, thirty men squads, as a manager, you are you are you are you are the chef. You are the boss. And uh, as a boss, uh, sometimes you are, you have to be ruthless. And if you take uh, the, the Sir Alex, Sir Alex was ruthless on many occasions. And uh, that's what I could say probably is in, in some occasion too nice and players took advantage. And at the end of the day, players at Blackburn back in 97 were responsible for the relegation. Nobody else. Did you have any, obviously you're at the bottom, you're fighting relegation. The manager you said is quite nice. Did you fall out of anyone in the squad because they weren't putting the effort in or they knew we go down, I'm going to move on to another club? Or did you still all stay together as a team? No, I think I think we... Obviously, if you get relegated with a good squad, there was something wrong. And there were players who didn't put the effort 100%. Because if you, if you look at the team, uh, the squad we had, uh, if everybody would have put the effort in... Uh, we would never have been relegated, you know. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't ever follow with uh, with with 
anybody really. Um, we tried. We tried. We had when when um, when Kid arrived. I think at one stage back in February, we had a good run of games. We won a few games, and in the league, we thought mm, we're on a good run. We won't be relegated. We were quite confident. I remember we had some good wins, uh, and in the league, you know, it looks quite good. And then, for some reason, in March, April, start losing again a few games, and then I think we were not ready to fight relegation because we never thought we would uh, be in this situation. And that was the biggest problem at the end of the season. It's when you realize now we are in a battle against relegation, but you never thought you would be in such position. You're not ready in your head. And just to try to commute in your head, it doesn't happen like that. That's why you have teams when the first game of the season you know, uh, start, they know, they fight for the survivor. And that's the team very often who are going to survive because they know that. At Blackburn, we were not ready for that. We were ready to push, you know, from being fifth in the uh, the season before to do at least the same or even better. Crazy. Uh, you know, that's what happened at the end of the season. So that you... Liverpool, Liverpool come in for you at the end of the season. Blackburn are relegated. Was you forced to move? Did you ask for a move, or did the transfer just come in? Um, I had I had a clause in my contract, like in a, if we were relegated at Blackburn, the clause was only if if you if we are relegated, you can move from a certain amount of money. Uh, been relegated, unfortunately, and then Liverpool came. So it was, to be honest, an easy decision uh, to go to uh, to Liverpool. To be honest, yeah. Did anyone else come in for you at the time? Any European clubs, or was it just Liverpool in for you, and you knew straight away? There were there were a few clubs, and in Germany, I had quite a good name when I left Hamburg. I only played two seasons, but I had quite a good name in uh, in Germany. Uh, I had Borussia Dortmund. I remember. And, uh, and a few other clubs. But the Premier League, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to play. The drinking culture. You, you, you was embedded in that and that was it. You was here now. Did Everton come in for you as well? Sorry. Did Everton come in for you as well at that time? Uh, no, I don't think so. No. Maybe rumours. Yeah, I heard, I heard a rumour that Everton was in at the same time. Yeah, probably rumours. But you know, quite quite early, I decided I go to uh, to Liverpool. To be honest, and like I said, you know, I wanted to stay in the Premier League. I wanted to stay in England, and uh, yeah, I, I adapted well to the, the lifestyle in England. Not only you know, I mean the drinking culture, the culture itself. Yeah, so I liked I liked the you know the the, the English British people mentality, football. Uh, atmosphere and everything. I didn't want to move. So you were, you moved to Liverpool in the 99-2000 season, and you immediately helped transform Liverpool because they were often inconsistent in defence. Um, the year before, they had conceded 49 goals uh, in the league alone. But then Sammy Hippier came, came in at the same time as you came in, so there was a new centre back centre back partnership. And then that season, you allowed 30 goals 
it's a massive difference. It was a, a league best, but it's the following year, obviously, that you're most remembered for. In, I know you've probably spoken about this quite a lot, but first of all, you won the FA Cup, the League Cup, which was quite one-sided. Then you had the FA Cup game against Arsenal. So how, how was that being? In, obviously, the FA Cup was a massive competition around the world. Being yeah. in your first final with them, how did you find that experience? Uh, FA Cup, the win against Arsenal. If you ask me what's the best, the highlight of your career, best moment, I would say that's the FA Cup against Arsenal. So by, the, by the way, by the way, I'm an Arsenal fan and that day broke my heart. You did that to me. You did. You broke my heart. I remember being 1-0 up, all awesome. the game, and then Owen scores two in the last 10 minutes. Exactly. Oh. It, was, it was an incredible game. We should have been uh, down and buried after an hour. We should have been 3-0, and you know, the game should have been over. Arsenal was, was the better team by far on the day. But, you know, football. <laughs> yeah, football, yeah. It's a funny game. And uh, and when you're only one nil down, you're still in the game. That's what happened in the, in this game. And yeah, Owen scored two by himself yeah. the second and made made the difference. So the way we won the game was drama, dra- drama pool. Uh, and winning the FA Cup was the, the highlight of my career. And I was saying why? Because, like you said, the FA Cup is massive around the world. Uh, in Switzerland, when I grew up. We couldn't watch any international football. You know, we had only three or four channels. They were not showing uh, international football. The only game was once a year, and that was the FA Cup final. You know, so I grew up only being able to watch uh, English football once a year. So for me, to be honest, when I was watching this game, you know, Wembley, everything. I was thinking these these players they come from another planet. They are extraterrestrials. <laughs> you know, when you grew up, you know, watching this Liverpool Everton three two these games. Uh, when you're 12, 13, 14, would you imagine you are going to play in this game and you are going to win the trophy? No, no, never in your life you will imagine that. And that's what happened uh, ten years later. Uh, I played in an FA Cup final and I left uh, the trophy. So that was when I remember when I left the trophy, I was in my head, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago as a young kid back in Switzerland, my small town, uh, thinking, you know, it's... Uh, it's such a shame that the club's taken such a, dem- a hit now. I think in the modern football, it's, it's seen as not that important. But I think, as you're saying, when you was 10, 15, oh, that's... <laughs> Our podcast based in the 90s, and it was such a great era for football. And the FA Cup still meant a lot to a lot of people worldwide. Whereas now, I would almost say internationally, it's probably still got a bigger reputation than it has here now because the love and the drama of the FA Cup still trans- transcends across the world. But in England, it's it's belittled a little bit now, which is quite yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, so Liverpool, so you've, you've gone to Liverpool. Um, I'm going to just go back a little bit. What was it like signing for Liverpool when you when you got in there? It was Julier, I think, who signed you. Is that right in saying that Julier brought you in? Yeah. What was he like as a manager? Because he's he's well renowned, he's well liked as a as a coach um, prior um, and being a gentleman, very personable. And then yeah. obviously you had quite a lot of characters there as well. How was the the transition from Blackburn to Liverpool? Uh, obviously, Liverpool is a massive club, and I don't think uh, you realise. 
uh, until actually you are playing in such a big club. You know, from the outside, you know Liverpool is a big name, it's a big club. Uh, when you actually play in it, day after day, you realize how big is the club and the pressure who goes with playing for, for, for such a big club. It's like Manchester United, it's Arsenal is a big club as well, you know, tradition club known everywhere in the world. You go to Australia, America, China, Europe, everywhere. Uh, that's the biggest difference when you play for Blackburn, who is well known in England, in Blackburn. Uh, but then, you know, you come to Switzerland, Blackburn is not very well known, Liverpool is, you know. So, yeah, the pressure that goes with it is a lot higher. And not always easy to deal with, because every single day they speak about football, they speak about the last result, the next game, uh, former players, they will speak in the media, in the press, on TV, they will judge you. And when they won five Champions League and they judge you, there's not much you can you can say if they say you were poor, you know. <laughs> Did you find the step up in training, the level and intensity of training from Blackburn to Liverpool? Did you notice instantly when you got in, you thought, yeah. this, this is a step up now? Yeah, you, you, you notice the difference of, uh, of quality. You know, better players, every single player in every position, you know, straight away, uh, you notice... Yeah, they are better. They are technically better. They are gifted players. Uh, the quality of training, technically, the passing, the movement. Yeah, it's a, it's a big step, I would say. Yeah. Who, who was there? Because you was under. You had some a great players there. Owen, Gerard, Carragher. Yeah. But one player that you played or crossed path with was Dioff at, at Liverpool. Uh, again, a bit of a eccentric. Like what was he like? Did you get on with him, or was there any? Because he's quite maligned now as a as a player when he speaks, and I think people that work with him at Liverpool don't often have very nice things to say about him. I'm interested to know what you, what your opinion of him was because he was a loud dresser. We know that. I think I think uh, uh, what, what, the story probably is uh, we had Nicola Anelka, and Nicola Anelka when he came on loan, I think he was at Paris Saint Germain. He's been great for us. He played six months. He was great. Uh, he scored important goals. He was very much liked in the dressing room. Uh, he's a strange character as well, Nicola uh, Anelka. But at Liverpool, I think it was the right place for him. Uh, he liked the city, he liked the people. Like I said, very much liked in the dressing room. And at the end of the season, he wanted to stay. Nicola Anelka wanted to stay. The team wanted him to stay. What happened, he was in uh, 2002 and they were at the World Cup. And youth was playing for Senegal. He had a good season with RC Lance in France. And uh, he played in, uh, in the World Cup. And Gerard Houllier decided not to make the move from, from Nikona Anelka permanent. He, he instead chose youth, uh, you know. He bought Diouf from Lens and Diouf came uh, after the World Cup, which, you know, they beat France, the world champion, in the first game. Uh, he scored a goal. And when he came, probably, you know, he came uh, with a lot of confidence, Diouf. He was thinking, you know, I beat France, played the World Cup, was good in the, the, the league in France. 
Um, but what I noticed in England, that's something also very specific. What happened outside England doesn't count much. You know, you, have, you know what I mean? You have to prove yourself in the Premier League in England. And when you come as a foreign player, sometimes when you come to England, you think, oh, I'm, a, I'm a big player because wherever I played, you know, I was big in this club. But no, in England, not. I remember Bernard Lama, he was a keeper. He was the French national keeper. In France, he was massive. He was big. He came to West Ham. He ended up being number three. <laughs> not two but three <laughs> so, so in front they were thinking Bernard Lama is number three at West Ham <laughs> how is that possible yeah it's possible because in England they don't care about your name they care about you know the performance and when you came to West Ham you are not good you know so, so I think that's what happened with youth youth he came he thought you know I'm a big player and all that stuff and from the first day in the dressing room, you know, they realize it's quite slow. And youth was slow, must admit. It was technically not bad, but it was slow for the Premier League as a striker, as a winger, you need pace. So I remember, you know, uh, listening to, you know, players, you know, you talk about the new signing and stuff. And uh, they were saying, oh, he's slow and all that. And him having, uh, you know, behaving like a big time player, so straight away from the first day, yeah, you could feel there is some, there is something wrong with it, you know, and uh, and from this first day, the dressing room, it was it was difficult. Then he didn't play that much uh, or that well, and then that much in uh, for Liverpool, and uh, and it ended up being difficult and difficult and. Uh, and we didn't have a, a good season, to be honest. 2002-2003 was a great season. We didn't qualify for Champions League. Uh, Gerard Houllier was a bit of under pressure because of that, because of the signing of youth. Uh, but you know, as a manager, when you sign a player, you want him to to perform. You want him to do to do well. If not, it's because you know you didn't choose the right player. So he pushed for, for Juve to play. Sometimes he didn't deserve to play, but he played again and again. So, uh, yeah, that was probably uh, why he wasn't much liked. And his behavior, like I said, on the pitch, diving all the time. At, uh, you know, at the beginning, he was diving every game. We had to tell him, hey, here, it's Premier League, my friend. Stay on your feet. Okay, stop diving and all that, thinking you are a clever player by winning a free kick. First thing, the referee don't give free kick for nothing here. And winning by cheating, that's not the mentality here. That's Italy, maybe, no problem, but not, uh, not England. So, yeah, a few, a, a few problems with him. But as a person, uh, I remember I shared the room with him a few times. You know, uh, not, not a bad guy. Not a bad guy, lively guy, you know. I was, I remember, you know, he was on, you know, like like a lot of African players, they ring the family, you know. Uh, so he was, he, they spent most of their time ringing all the cousine, you know, sister, brother, family, and all that, you know, until one, two in the morning, and that was the case with uh, with youth. <laughs> but obviously, the UEFA Cup final, you beat Barcelona in the lead up to the final. Uh, you were two 0 up inside of fifteen minutes. 3-1 at half-time. 
and you're obviously thinking, "Yay, we, we've won this." Yeah, I think I think uh, this 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 final against Alaves, a team from I would say nowhere really the name, and I think uh, we thought we've done the hard work by beating Roma in the quarter final in the last. Uh, in the, I think we beat Roma in the last 16. Yeah. We beat Porto in the quarterfinal. And, then, and then we beat Barcelona in the semi-final. So we thought we've done the hard work because now we play Alaves in the final. Uh, the start of the game, obviously, <laughs> was exactly uh, the perfect start. 2-0 after, I think, 16, 17 minutes. So nearly too easy. Because when you play in the final, you think that'll be a hard game. That's a final. So you don't expect to win so easy after 15 minutes. We were in total control. Uh, then they scored on a free kick, you know, header, back post, 2-1. But right after, 3-1. Once again, you know, so we only thought, well, they scored once, but, you know, free kick, nothing major. When we came back at half time, I think the feeling was the game is... The game is uh, is finished. Is over. It's already done. It's free. It's free one, and it's easy. In before five one. And when we came back in the second half, uh, with this mentality, you know, they had a different mentality. They thought three one now, nothing to lose now, nothing to lose anymore now. And you could feel they came. They were up front in the second half, and we were not. So in the space of 15 minutes, that was the opposite. They scored two goals back, three, three. Then you're shot. Did you, sorry, Steve, did you feel, you just said that, did you feel then at 3-1, even coming out, the minute you come out of the halftime, did you feel a, a change in the in the dynamics? Did you think at that stage they're, they're here to come at us now? Or was it kind of when they got to 3-3 three, three that you just, it was like, shit? No, straight, straight away in the game, I remember we were overconfident, slightly overconfident. <laughs> And when the referee uh, kicked up the second half, they played much more like with freedom, more aggressively going forward and all that. Like a team who's got nothing to lose anymore. They're not thinking about doing the right stuff defensively and being solid and all that. No. And, um, and straight away, we thought, mm. it's not as easy as it was in the first half. You know, they put you under pressure, they play forward, they make some runs and all that. And, um, and on top of that, they scored two goals in the, in the space of 15 minutes. So after one hour, it was 3-3. Three, three. So we was back to square one. So then you think, wow, now we are in the game. Can you, at 3-3, three, three, can you hear the manager starting to, or the captain, did, did Gerard start saying to everyone, listen, calm down, keep your positions. Did you still think you could win or was you now thinking, we're going to lose this? No, I think, I think at 3-3, three, three, we realised... We realized, and the staff and Gerard on the, you know, on the bench realized uh, now we are in the proper game. Now you have, in a way, to wake up. No, wake up, because if not, we are going to lose the game. We're still in the game, but we have to wake up. And, uh, and I think after that, we, we played better. You know, we stabilized the ship, I would say, you know, the boat. We stabilized it a little bit. And then we score, score four, three. But then they equalize once again. You know, then you think, wow, this game. You know, and um, and we had to go to extra time. That's something at Alfa you would uh, never expect. 
never expect a 4-4, conceded four goals uh, and had to go to extra time with a sudden death uh, goal at the time, which, you know, with a sudden death, you never know. You don't have 30 minutes to win. One mistake and it's over. But, you know, luckily, we scored the, we scored the goal. <laughs> so, uh, that's how it ended up, you know, uh, in our favour. By the end of the day, we had, we had a bit of luck to win this game. What you was know? the night out like after? Did you, did you celebrate hard on, after that win? Or did you go back and have a nice sleep? The problem was, like after the FA Cup, we won on the Saturday against Arsenal. We should have celebrated for three days. We couldn't because we were playing Wednesday the UEFA Cup final. Same thing again. On Wednesday, you win the, the UEFA Cup. You should celebrate again. We couldn't because we were playing Charlton away on Saturday, three o'clock. And the Charlton game was the biggest game of the season. Why? Because we needed to win to qualify for the Champions League. We missed the Champions League the year before by losing against Bradford 1-0, last game of the season. We couldn't miss uh, two years in a row, you know. So for the club, for the money and everything, the biggest game, and it's strange to say that, it was well, Was you disappointed a little bit that you couldn't really celebrate any of your, because you won a treble, a yeah. couple of, but you couldn't really celebrate at any stage, because I was looking at this prior, and I yeah. reading up, everyone said that there was there was no time. It was like, Won the game. We went. Yeah. To the club, we had a few drinks. Travelled. Got home. Game. It was. It was a shame because you don't really have the time to enjoy. Uh, you know, relax, enjoy, celebrate. If you be have a light on the next morning, we couldn't do that. The next morning we were up, breakfast, warm down, training for the one who didn't play and all that. Concentrate again, doing the right thing, have the right diet, drinking water and all that. Um, and the same thing after the UEFA Cup. And then we played Charlton uh, on the Saturday. We won against Charlton. So it was, we've done everything, winning three trophies. We qualified the club for the Champions League. So it was perfect. And then it was the end of the season. Uh, Sunday, we had the parade in the, in the city centre on the double deck bus. Oh, that was a great, great moment. You know, one of the highlights as well of my career, you know, as an atmosphere and thing. And after that, it was a holiday time. So everybody was going away, you know, Sunday night or Monday morning, flying, driving somewhere on holiday. So we didn't really have the time as a team, as a squad, with the staff. To, to celebrate as much as we should have or as we, we would have liked, yeah. Wow. Uh, some of the players you mentioned about Owen and Gerard and Carragher, what was, did you get on with all of those players? Was there, was there anything that kind of, because obviously Carragher was competing for your place slightly at the time. What yeah. was the competition like? How did you deal with that, Having knowing there's someone coming up to challenge for your position? When you play in the top, in a, in a big club, you know that there will be... Uh, there will be a player fighting for, for one spot, really. And uh, at Liverpool, we had, uh, we had quite a few centre-backs. Jamie was playing centre-back. Uh, we had Marcus Babel, who could play centre-back. We had Rigobert Song at the time, who was, you know, an international centre-back. We had Steve Staunton, who was playing at the back. We had Phil Bapp, who was playing at the back. They were all there in 99. 
So, um, yeah, there were only two places. We were playing for the back, so as a centre-back, only two places. Uh, what happened was that Kara ended up playing left-back and uh, Marcus Babel ended up playing right-back. So, uh, and, uh, and a few other centre-backs, then they left, uh, they left the club, you know, to get, uh, to get playing time. Uh, but, you know, that's how it is in, uh, like I said, in big clubs. I never had problems with, uh, with anybody and with, uh, you know, with that. None with, uh, with Jamie, with, with, he's, he's a great lad uh, and, uh, and also a great character, you know. So, uh, no, I had, I, I had no problem with that. Who was the biggest prankster in the Liverpool changing room? Robbie Fowler. Robbie for uh, Caraga was one of them. Robbie Cara, yeah, probably, probably this. Euro '96. You play in Euro '96. Now that tournament for England fans is iconic. Yeah. Um, the song is coming over. That must drive you mad. Still, is it? They still sing that song now. It's coming over. All that. Sort of <laughs> How was it to play in that tournament? Did you feel the buzz of that tournament that we felt as fans back then? No, the tournament. Uh, the tournament was was great. Uh, we were lucky as, as, as a Swiss, uh, Swiss team because we drew uh, England in the group. And we were lucky because we played the opening game, when yeah. we had 96 opening game. What, what's better than that? You know, when we had the draw, yes, England, Holland, Scotland. And then you have, you know, in the group, the game plan, first game, opening game, England. Uh, now it was top. And Swiss-wise, we do one one, you know. Yeah. So it was uh, something like huh? everybody were expecting a three nil, uh, and we were one nil down. Chile scored first half, and we equalized penalty eighty minutes or something. So yeah. yeah, it was it was great. And then we moved to Birmingham, where we played Villa Park or two next games, Holland and, and Scotland. Uh, great experience. Yeah, great memories, great experience. To be honest, yeah. Who was the best striker you faced? Who was there? Was there any forward that you just hated to play against? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cherry Henry. I have to say, I played against many, many top strikers, Andy Cole, top strikers, uh, Batistuta, Van Nistelrooy, uh, a lot. That's the one who came, you know. <clears throat> but Cherry Henry was the most uh, difficult player to play against. Uh, especially, to be honest, at home, at Anfield. Why? Because when we played away at Ivory, small pitch, Ivory, uh, and we could defend deep, we didn't have to attack. So when you defend deep as a centre-back, it's quite good because you don't have space to run in behind. Uh, we were organised and, you know, it wasn't easy. It was OK. The problem was when we played at Anfield, we had to attack, you know, the fans, they want you to attack. You can't sit deep at home field. Uh, and when you're going to lose the ball, that's when you're in trouble. Because there is space everywhere to run in behind. And with Pires, Viltor, Lumber, Bergkamp to give the ball. Uh, and, and Cherry Henry was so quick. Uh, it, was, it was a nightmare. I remember. I hated playing against, uh, against Cherry Henry. Um, two, two more questions. One is about goalkeepers. As a centre-back, how much is your game reliant on a good goalkeeper in terms of psychology, in terms of thinking, if someone gets past me, 
I've got a goalkeeper who's going to stop it. Or if you've got someone that's a bit more shaky, does that alter the way that you defend in that game? Yeah, yeah. I think the goal, the goal, the goalkeeper, uh, you must, you must trust him. You know, if you trust him, you're in confidence. If you're confident, you play better. Uh, so you need to have somebody who you know uh, he will save you a few times in the game. As a centre-backs, your duty is to stop everything, win the defend the crosses, win the header, you know, the tackle. But sometimes you play good striker, yeah, you have to accept that they will, you know, strike. They will beat you once or twice a game. But then you expect your goalkeeper to make the save. Uh, and, it, you know, if you go in a 1-1, knowing that the goalkeeper can save you behind, you go with more confidence. If you have more confidence, you have more chance to win the 1-1. Uh, if you're going one-one, knowing oh, if you pass me, it's a goal. What you're going to do? You're going to to defend uh, by you know going going back your goal, not trying to win the challenge to tackle. You don't, you're not comfortable. Same on the, on the, on crosses. You need to know that the keeper will come. He will collect the ball. He will help you. If you have to win every single header during the game because the goalkeeper never comes out to collect the ball, uh, it's difficult. So the goalkeeper is massive for a centre-back. Who was the best goalkeeper? Because Liverpool are quite, were known to have quite a lot of dodgy keepers over the year, until, up until now, really, Valison. Yeah. Who did you least enjoy knowing was behind you or most and most enjoy who was behind you? Uh, in Liverpool, I had, I must admit, only only good goalkeepers. Blackburn, the same. Tim Flowers, you know, great goalkeeper. Then Brad Friedel. Liverpool, Sander Stavel, when I arrived, good goalkeeper. Then made a few mistakes and Gerard Oulier decided, you know, to buy two goalkeepers, Chris Kirkland and Jersey Dudek. Two good goalkeepers as well. But Jersey Dudek was probably the best one I played with. Uh, dodgy keeper, no. I had one in Switzerland here, but you wouldn't know. Well, probably he played a little bit at Fulham. Zuba Bula. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bit dodgy, you know, but... Slippery hands. <laughs> <laughs> he went out on the pitch, greased his hands up and then went out to play football. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. Was you a bit disappointed that how your career finished at Liverpool? Um, moving on. I mean, did you feel that you could have stayed a little bit longer and, and challenged, or would you? How? Yeah. What, yeah. I think. I think uh, when uh, when Benitez arrived, uh, I was in starting eleven every game before he arrived. Um, then when he arrived, I had the feeling straight away. Mm, maybe I, you know, it put me under pressure. It will be somebody, you know, competing for my spot. I'm not sure I will start playing. And then the first game came. I wasn't in starting 11. And it's always the same. How do you react as a player? Uh, and with the experience now, I didn't react the way I should. You know, what, the, what way you should the way you should as a player is okay. There is a new manager. He's going to challenge you. You have to improve your game. You have to listen what he wants. Maybe it's something different than the previous manager or something. You have to work harder. Maybe, yeah. Uh, and you have to fight. You have to fight for your place. Maybe it will 
you have to wait maybe six, seven games, eight games, I don't know, six weeks, two months. But if you work hard, if you listen, if you fight, you have the chance and then you have to take it. Uh, that's the way you should respond to that. That's the way I should have responded. But how did you respond? Me, I responded thinking, you know, in this club, I want trophy. I'm in the starting 11, you know, and now you put me on the bench. I don't like it, you know. So instead of doing what I said, working, fighting and all that, I didn't really do that. I was most of, I was thinking myself offended maybe. So then I thought, okay, if I'm not playing, I'm going to move. So I asked to move. Obviously, if you do that, the manager will think, hmm, I can't count on him. He doesn't want to fight for his spot. He wants to move. And I asked him to move to Man City. Kevin Keegan was at Man City. He offered me three years contract. I had only one left at Liverpool. Uh, and we had a window in 2004, it was. Yeah. September 2004. So right at the end of the window, I had the possibility to move to City with Kevin Keegan. So I thought, yes, I'd like to do it. So I asked to move. And the club said no. No, because now if you move, we have to replace you. And uh, it's too late in the window. What, sorry, when you say the club said no, was that the managing director or was that Rafa Benitez who said no? I don't know. Rick Perry told me no. Did he discuss with Benitez and Benitez said no? Probably, you know. By the end of the day, the club repairy told me, now you can't move, it's too late in the window. Obviously, when you do that, when you react like that, the manager, you know, mm, this player, can I count on him? Not really. So from that point, I could see the relationship broken, you know. And then it's been a difficult period for me. But do you think Rafa Benitez is known somewhat as uh, man management's not been... No, as the best. Do you think he could have handled it differently? Did you pull him aside or did he pull you aside and say, Stephen, you know, mm. no, no, he didn't do that. Uh, he's a he's a great manager. He managed, you know, big teams, great teams. He won the Champions League. You know, you can't argue with that. Tactically, he's very, he's very aware tactically, you know. Uh, he's got his philosophy. There is nothing to say about that. So uh, the only thing, like you said, the man management is not, uh, let's say he could do better. He could do better because like you said, you know, if you're in the starting uh, 11 and you're not anymore, maybe you would think he can explain you why. Or he could tell you, I still count on you, but I want you to improve this part of your game. Even you are 31, 32, you know, you're a bit behind and I prefer this player. But if you improve, you will get your chance, you know, and stuff like that. He's not, uh, or he wasn't at the time, maybe now he has changed, but he wasn't at the time the manager would do that. So then you find yourself on the bench, then not even in the squad anymore. Then the relationship is broken but you still haven't one conversation with him, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a shame. Because looking at your career, it, it, there was a bit of to and fro about how it ended. Then you went to Celtic, uh, a brief spell, or a brief spell Celtic on loan. You had a few injuries, I think. Yeah. And then you get to 31, 32, and naturally the yeah. amount of football you played, injuries started playing a part. But you ended up at Wigan and had a, a quite successful uh, spell at Wigan. How yeah. was that going back up to Lancaster and finishing your career somewhat in, in that part of the world again? Uh... 
Actually, you know, when I moved to Wigan, I didn't have to move from my house in Liverpool. When I went to Celtic, it was in the hotel six months. And then I ended up two years, signing for two years at Blackburn. I was injured uh, the second season. I couldn't play one game, so I finished on that. But I always stayed in Liverpool. I always uh, lived in the same house. Uh, that was something I wanted to do, uh, and as a family as well, I didn't want to move anymore because I liked, like I said, I like the culture, I like uh, Liverpool, I like where I was living. I could have moved to Italy, smaller clubs, I had quite offers in, uh, in Germany, France, you know, uh, I could have, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to. I, preferred to stay. I could have moved to, to London. I had Charlton, I had Fulham, I had Southampton, uh, you know, but we'd have, have to move the family and stuff like that. So then I had Wigan promoted, you know, half an hour from Liverpool. I could just drive, no problem. It was easy. Uh, we had a good season. Great season, if you if you take the size of the Great club. season, yeah. Fantastic season. We, I think we were second just before Christmas. Then we ended up eight or ninth. We went to the League Cup final. Well, we lost 4 nil against United, but we beat Arsenal in the semi-final. <laughs> so, you know, for Wigan, it was good. So we had a good season. And then I could go back to Blackburn, which I knew the club and all that. And once again, I could just travel. It was 45 minutes, so no problem. And uh, yeah, you know. Mentality-wise, in terms of being an elite athlete, how do you deal with the mental side? When, when you still got Benitez, when you fell out, not fell out, but that, that happened, how did that impact you mentally in terms of thinking, I'm going to move, the stresses that it brought on? What? How did you deal with that at the time? Because obviously now... The mental health side is a lot more mentioned and dealt with. Yeah. I think we look at it back in the day, definitely in the nineties, which we more, more work in. But there what is the support, and how did you feel that worked for you and other players that you worked with? There is there is a, a massive difference. If I take when I was a player, and if I take now, uh, I've been a manager in the professional uh, league in uh, the top league in Switzerland. Uh, massive difference, mental wise. Uh, back at the time, I think the manager, they were picking the starting 11, the subs, and they didn't speak with anybody, really. You were not in the team, you went home, you do whatever you want. They don't speak, they don't explain, uh, they don't praise you. If you do your job, it's normal. They just tell you when it's bad. When it's bad, they tell you. When you do a good job, such a, it was just like, it's normal. Uh, they didn't care really. It was a lot, in a way, I think it was a lot harder. Um, these days, very different. Maybe too much in the opposite side. Agreed. Because as a manager, now these days, you have to praise all the time, even yeah. for nothing. Yeah. You know, a bit like kids at school. It's always well done. Oh, you've done great, nice, it's perfect. And then when it's not done, not good, you cannot really say like that. You cannot just say, oh, it was bad. If you say bad, oof, no, you have to say, listen, you can maybe do a little bit better, think about it. What do you think? Uh, yeah, you know. So maybe no, sometimes it's the opposite, the opposite way, you know. I completely agree. It's gone uh, completely. Sometimes, okay, uh, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, it was too harsh. 
but now sometimes you have to say when it's bad, it's bad. Okay? Yeah. Huh? I know you react, please. I don't have to tell you what do you think, can you do better, how could you do improve? Okay. So yeah, you have to have the right balance, but the mental aspect it's in every in every situation in life it's it's vital. You know, you know that. If you go in your head, you will perform better, you will work better. Uh, but yes, change a lot, especially in the last, I know, two, three, four years, I think. And it's still changing now. You know, when we're speaking now, it's changing all the time. It's this mental aspect. Uh, sometimes I think we are going a bit too far. I can think so. Now, now you're, you've gone into management yourself now. Are you the type of coach manager who puts an arm around the player? Uh, you know, um, like the man of management side, which we spoke about with Rafa Benitez. Are you that guy now? You've taken a bit from every manager you worked under yeah. and you, you implement that in your own management style? Uh, I, had, I had to change a lot. I started I started in 2009 with the first team in Switzerland. It was like a League One. If I compare in 2009 and now, 12 years later, I had to change a lot. Yeah. I had to. Uh, because of the experience uh, I made, uh, probably yeah, I made I made probably some mistakes. Definitely made mistakes, but I had to change <laughs> because the mentality has changed, because the society has changed, and that's what I was explaining uh, to you before. Yeah. Uh, you can't speak to players uh, as you were speaking to players a few years ago. Yes, totally change, and the problem the problem I, I experience uh, now uh, is the same in England, the same everywhere. Uh, manager, you are always the one responsible and the only one responsible. You know, as soon as the result is not going the right way, bang, it's your fault. It's very rarely the player's fault. Very rarely, yeah, they said the players should perform better and all that. But at the end of the day, they will always say, oh, yeah, but the players, you know, they're not in the right frame of mind. They don't perform because of the manager. You know, it's always because of the manager. Uh, because he doesn't find the right keys to open, you know, his head or I don't know and stuff like that. Uh, I don't think, I don't think it's, uh, it's correct. I don't think it should be that way, but it is. So it, if you want to be a manager these days, you have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. Probably you need some to get some help from outside. But I think the job is getting uh, harder and harder. Always more difficult. It's impossible, I think, now. I think that... that, that uh, I think so. I don't know how to describe it. Football now... I'll use England more so, but football now... Compared to the 90s before Sky came in or when Sky first came in for the TV, yeah. it was a working man's game. It was a game that you can fall in love when you take your, your family to. Yeah. Mid-2000s, it turned slightly into a corporate structure with yeah. player manager. Say, um, you had the uh, football director and you have the manager. Mm -hmm. The manager is no longer a manager, it's a coach. Then you have the first team coach. There's yeah. too many layers to it now. There was nothing wrong with the way the system was put out before. You know, mm -hmm. a manager would come in. And yes, you're right. The structure in terms of having too much power and speaking to players inappropriately to somewhat. Yeah, OK, that was harsh. But 
there has to be a balance. And now the managers, you look at any manager now, in six games, you're in a crisis. If you're at an index 500 company, if you work for Apple or as a CEO or wherever you are, if you have six weeks, you don't do anything in six weeks. No, no, no. You need to implement no. your vision. Why are you so quick to just be like, oh, he's been in... I'll use David Moyes. I'm a big... I'm a Man United fan. He came to Man United. He got eight months, which is a disgrace. Yep. Did he do things wrong? Of course he did. Um, you know, should he have been given longer? Yeah. Moyes is a very good manager. He's proven to be a good manager. And he's showing it again now. What do you... What would you change? If you could change something now, what would you change to make life easier for managers? The, pro the problem, that I, I think the, the big problem is the chairman and directors, they listen to the players. You know, if you start to do that in a club, you're dead. You're dead. Because the players, the one who is responsible for the result is the manager. It's not the director or the chairman. But the problem is these days, the players, they noticed that when they're not happy with the manager, when they're training too hard, when they're not playing the position they want, when they're not in the starting 11, what they do? They take the phone and they ring straight away the chairman or the director, you know? And instead of saying, listen, my friend, you're only a player, you do what the manager tells you and you shut up, they start to listen. Ah, the manager, that technique is not very good. He doesn't play me in the right position. Ah, yes. Ooh, I'm going to have a word with him. You train too hard, twice a day. Mm. Yeah, we have heavy legs, or I don't know. Ah, okay, maybe we should. You know what I mean? We're not prepared mentally right for the game. Ah, the manager, he can't prepare you right for the game. And they start to listen. You know what I mean? They start to listen to the, this player, this one, this one. The players, they're clever. They know that. And they get the manager the sacked. As simple as that. Player, no. power. Player power is far too... I mean, it's not and that's it. So as a manager, you have no chance. Absolutely no chance. And, you know, you take Lampard, Chelsea, they were doing great. First, first, start, uh, first part of the season, they were doing great. No problem. In the Champions League, in the league, then suddenly they start to lose a few games. Is he become a bad manager in three weeks? <laughs> I don't think so. He's still the same manager. Three weeks. He can't change that much in three weeks. You know what I mean? But what happened? He only lost a few games for different reasons. You know? Sacked. Why? Because a few players in this Chelsea squad, they must have ring, you know, the director. The director must have speak with Abramovich and if, okay, he's not the right man anymore. He was, but he's not anymore the right man and that's it would you so what would you like to see as your next step in your your managing career where would you like to go to in terms of your sense a very difficult job why take it on is it the challenge uh, or is it the feel that you can make a change in that industry as a manager it's very very difficult to find a, a spot a place to manage you know you know there's a lot of manager without work and very few teams so you can be happy if you find a team to manage, to be honest. Uh, so, uh, yeah, obviously, if you play like myself in England, yes, you would like to manage in England. You're not speaking about Premier League because you have to be realistic. But even if you think championship, no chance. 
Even League One, you think, I would like to manage in League One, but it's very hard. I don't think I would get the chance to manage in League One, you know? So then you think, okay, I need to do well in the Swiss League, small league, you know, not very well watched or something like that. You have to, to try to do well and take step after step. And, uh, and that's it. But I don't think you can project yourself too much because it's a, it's a hard it's a, it's a hard job. So if you find a, a team to manage, you can already, uh, I would say, be happy. Well, Stephen, I've got a, a position at me shop, a, a baker. I need to, <laughs> you're welcome to come in and bring some. Why not? We have a few beer after the, the work, you know. <laughs> Holland, did you have any more questions before I just finish off with the fastest round? No, you carry on, mate. He's been brilliant. You've been brilliant with all the questions that you've answered. Thank you so much. Okay, no problem. I'm just going to finish off with a quick fire round. So I'll ask you a few quick fire questions. Yep. First name that comes to your head, just pop it out for me. So the first question, best manager you played under? Rolson. Best centre-back partnership? Sammy Pierre. Worst dressed player at any club? B. McKinley. <laughs> you, we said best trophy you've got that prefer player for a club or for country club who wins in a fight Billy McKinley or Colin Hendry Colin Hendry <laughs> 90s football or 2000s football 90 good lad yes Ronaldo or Messi Ronaldo good Gerard or Scholes Gerard Mm. Gigs, gigs or Overmars? Gigs. Yeah! <laughs> Listen, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, thank you so much, Stephen. You've been absolutely amazing. Yeah. You've given us so much of your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, everyone, that's Stephen Hencho. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you so much. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.